This show is a proud member of the Nerdy Legion Podcast Network. Get more at nerdylegion.com. Enjoy the show! Welcome to another episode of I Am Gotham, the show where we explore Bat Family history from 1939 until today. And this one's a little bit different. I was going to put out an episode talking about uh, some detective comics from uh, the 40s, but instead I've decided to try something a little bit different because in the past few days, it seems that the comic book industry has received some controversy. Who would have thunk it? Controversy in comics, never that. Never that. So first I wanted to talk a little bit about this uh, this whole thing about uh, a petition that was started to make the Joker gay again. I'm not going to tell you, I just, I don't, I don't understand it. I don't. When the, when the information first came out, I thought to myself, okay, is there a story that I've missed? Because whoever started this petition is claiming that Neil Adams made the Joker gay when he was on the book. And I just, I don't remember any of the stories. And it's not a thing about, well, I don't want the Joker to be gay. I think looking at the Joker as a gay character kind of demeans what the Joker is about. Now, you could argue that the whole relationship between Batman and the Joker is a little, um, what, what's the word? I don't know. They they do have some, I guess, gay tendencies, maybe. And there's been arguments made for Batman and Robin with the same deal, right? For for forever. Um, and I remember. I'm going to show my age now. But for those of you that grew up in you know the 80s and 90s, there was that short on SNL, which I think came before it was an SNL. It was a short somewhere else, the ambiguously gay duo, and that that was obviously based on Batman and Robin's relationship but turned up quite a few notches to make it extremely obvious that maybe these two are gay. And, you know, reading a lot of these early Batman stories, I do feel like there are some gay tendencies, maybe, but none of that is ever explored. None of it is explicitly stated. And I think to make the assumption that any of these characters are gay without the without us as readers being told that they are is uh, is kind of jumping the gun. And, I mean, there's plenty of gay characters, right? So, like, Batwoman is gay. Um, Bluebird is uh, bisexual. Uh, who else do we have? Catman. Uh, when, when Gail Simone rewrote the character, uh, he, he became gay. Um, there's been, like, mentions of Harley being bisexual. There's been... Actually, I'm surprised this one's not the one that people are angry about. But Catwoman was bisexual for, for a while. Um, so I, I don't know. I don't know why, why, where the jump is coming from. It seems like really somebody is reaching uh, just because they want a major character to be seen as gay. And there's nothing wrong with that. Um, I think I think DC is doing a good job of being exclusive to the LGBT community. And there's there's plenty of characters that that you know, people in the LGBT community can look up to. I just don't feel like the Joker is one of them. I think. I think the thing with the Joker is the Joker is an extremely uh, complex character. And it's very easy to put your own feelings and emotions on um, you know, cultural norms and, and sexual uh, gender roles and things like that on characters like Batman and Robin because they've been around for so long. And, like you know, people want to feel like these characters belong to them, right? I mean, that's one of the reasons I do this podcast is I'm such a huge Batman fan. 
that I want to just talk about all things Batman. We're going to get back to that in a second, too. But You know, Bruce Wayne is a rich white guy, right? But I don't see, like, myself, for example, I grew up, you know, lower middle class. I never petitioned for DC to make Bruce Wayne lower middle class, you know, Italian, Hispanic guy, right? He's he's just a rich white guy. That's his person. That's who he is. And, uh, you know, there's different aspects and traits of the characters that I appreciate. And I think it's the same for Joker. You know, these, these characters, I think the reason they're so popular and have lasted for so long is not that they have to appeal to everybody, but that there are certain traits that make them kind of universal. And both of those characters are kind of two sides of the same coin, right? Uh, if you want to look at it as the simplest way possible, it could be like a good versus evil thing. But there's also so much more than that. And, and that's why there's been so many different interpretations of both Batman and the Joker and the rest of the characters is because you can take the mold of what these characters are and kind of spin them in different directions uh, to fit different types of stories. Right. So, for example, Tom King now is playing more on the, the romantic side of Batman, which, you know, Batman's always had somebody. Right. I mean, in in the first few issues of the series, when it comes out in the 40s, I mean, Batman's got, you know, two or three different girlfriends. And that's always been the case throughout. Right. He He always has some kind of love interest. But ultimately, none of that works out because his main uh, impetus in life is to free Gotham of crime. I mean, that could be argued, right? There could be different impetus. And the same goes with the Joker. I don't think the Joker has never been shown as a sexual character. And even when Harley Quinn was introduced to the Batman books, and that became a love interest for the Joker, I never felt it to be a, a, a typical romantic relationship. And it wasn't, because obviously that was a very abusive relationship. Um, mostly abusive on Harley's side, right? Joker was very abusive, uh, to her. But that's kind of, that's kind of who the Joker is, right? And then, obviously, if this was a real person, there would be no excuse. But this is not a real person. It's a comic book character. And, uh, as much as we want to, uh, put some of our own feelings on what society should be onto these characters, these characters are a thing unto themselves. And I think it's especially true of the Joker. And to have somebody create a petition, which I don't, I don't know, what's the deal with petitions? Why does everyone want to petition everybody to do something? It makes no sense. Uh, you know, we, we have a, a Discord chat with all the other podcasters on the network. And, uh, that's, that's kind of become a joke, right? Like I'm going to petition to have you petition me to petition to petition so we can create a petition. And, and that's kind of what it seems like things have become lately, right? There's no, there's no like truth per se. Uh, it's just everybody's opinion is truth. And uh, I don't, I, that's obviously not the case. I, th- that cannot be the case. Um, it's just everyone feels so entitled to their own opinions that they, everybody feels like their truth is the real truth. And, uh, that, that's a little insane to be honest. Now, if that's how you feel, I'm sorry that I called you insane. But guess what? Still a little insane. So the thing with the Joker is, I think to to want to put a role like this on the Joker is particularly insane. Partially, yes, because the Joker is one of the most insane characters. But I think to do that, 
really makes the Joker two-dimensional. And the Joker, while he started off very two-dimensional, I think over the decades has become one of the most intricate and interesting characters in DC Comics. And that's why I think creators have realized they can't no longer put the Joker in, you know, every issue of Batman. Right? That's how it was in the 40s. He was in everything. And then people started getting tired of him. And the Joker disappeared from comics for like, I want to say about 30 years. Um, He was gone from the 50s till the 80s at some point. And there's a reason for that, right? Because when you have a character doing the same thing over and over again, it becomes tiresome, not just for the reader reading it, but for the writers. Uh, Even if you're having, if you're switching creative teams, uh, it's still going to be a little tiresome. With that said, after the Joker came back, I think things really start to get interesting. And I think the Joker is one of those characters that you can't pin down because the Joker is, or has become maybe, way above what these societal norms are, right? So I don't, I don't feel, even when, when Joker and Harley were a thing, right? I don't, I don't feel like it was a, a romantic thing. I'm not sure if the Joker can feel any kind of romantic, uh, attraction to anybody, right? I think, well, when I say romantic, I mean maybe more sexual. Uh, well, you know what? Maybe not. Maybe it is the other way around. Maybe it is more a sexual thing than a romance thing. I don't, I'm not sure if the Joker has the uh, cognitive abilities to truly be in love with somebody. And I'm not sure if the Joker is is a character that would be able to see things as we would see them in our society. Right? It's almost like, to me, the Joker is beyond those things. Right? Because love and romance and all that don't mean anything to him. Uh, it's more of, um, like what traits he admires at a specific point in time. And how can he use that to his advantage? Because he's obviously psychopathic, right? He's a sociopath. And, and those kind of people have a tough time uh, conforming to these norms as the rest of us do. And to just make him gay, I think, really brings the character down a couple of notches. And maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm just being a little too uh, invested in the character because I really do love the Joker. He's he's one of my favorite villains um, and has become uh, for, for many years. But I think the reason for that is because his his method of reasoning is so contrary to what everybody else would think, right? So, I mean, you could argue that maybe he's got the hots for, for Batman. You could argue that. Um, and, and depending on your interpretation, it very well could be that. Uh, you know, there's been writers who have wondered about this a little bit. Um, and in particular, I think uh, Frank Miller kind of thought about this a little bit uh, when he worked on Batman. I don't know if it was ever necessarily expressed, uh, you know, there, there's a couple examples in Dark Knight Returns where maybe it's more of an allegory uh, to that type of thing, but it was never explicitly mentioned. Um, and the same thing goes with uh, with like Grant Morrison, right? Grant Morrison had some very different ideas of what Batman could be, uh, but I love it because I think a lot of it stretches from the original stories of the the 40s and 50s and 60s. Uh, and there's a book about that um, that deals into some of the inspirations for uh, Grant Morrison's run on Batman. 
And it's, it's really, really interesting. Uh, so I, I suggest you read that. I'm going to read you a quote from Grant Morrison. So Grant Morrison did an interview in Playboy back in the day. And he said, gayness is built into Batman. I'm not using gay in the pejorative sense, but Batman is a very, very gay. Obviously, as a fictional character, he's intended to be heterosexual, but the basis of the whole concept is utterly gay. Very true. Okay, We've talked about some of these things. And I think the same thing goes for the Joker, right? Batman and the Joker have this relationship where there are two sides of the same coin. Uh, and for me, that's the most interesting part of their relationship. Right. Because in many respects, they, they are kind of very much the same, but the paths that they have chosen in their lives have led them in completely different directions. So I think, you know, to make the Joker gay, like if you want a gay character, that's fine. I understand that. Uh, you want somebody to look up to and, and to, to, you know, I don't know, maybe transpose yourself into that character. I, I don't, see, I don't think the Joker is that character, right? There's plenty of other characters within the Bat family and, and outside of the Bat family uh, that I think would fit those roles properly. And I'm trying, not trying to demean these people's uh, want for the Joker to be gay. But uh, I think, to be honest, it's a little bit silly. It's a little bit silly. And uh, you know, maybe it's just my understanding of like human psychology. Uh, and maybe these people don't have that. Or maybe there's something else going on. I just don't, I just don't see it. I don't see the Joker... As ever having been gay. I think the Joker is one of those characters where he will get with um, whoever will help him achieve his goal. Whatever that goal might be at that particular moment in time. And I mean, ultimately, right, his goal is just utter chaos, right? Like, he's he's really got no goal, to be honest. Um, he just wants chaos for everybody because he himself lives in such chaos. And obviously, he, he wants to transpose that to other people. Maybe to make himself feel better. Uh, I've been listening to this podcast called uh, Serial Killers uh, over the last couple of months. And it's it's a really fantastic podcast. Uh, they do two episodes per serial killer. And so one is like the early history of this person, their early life, and how things led up to them becoming this serial killer. And then the second part is, becomes a little more gruesome in many respects. And uh, you actually start learning about the, the murders and caught or if they don't get caught like what the theories are and all this stuff uh, it's really interesting and uh I, i've learned a lot about the way that sociopaths think from this podcast uh and and i mean there's plenty of others you know if you're a batman fan the arkham sessions is a great example of of a place where you can go and learn about how these characters think because even though they are just characters ultimately they're based on tropes and feelings and emotions that the writers have with themselves and and feel a need to express and uh, i think it's i think it's really important um if you if you want to get the most out of comics um you know there's different ways to read comics there's always comics that are made just to read for fun but i think there's plenty of comics that do or can give you a lot more if you truly want to dive into what it is that's happening. And I find that the most fascinating aspect of comics. So should the, should the Joker be gay? I mean, not really. I think the petition's a little silly. Uh, but that's something that's been chatted about over the last few days and I wanted to bring up on the podcast. And then the other one is, uh, is also Batman-related, of course. But it's the controversy between uh, Batman 39 and Action Comics number 761. So let's talk about this for a second. 
So Batman 39, brand new, just came out, I don't know, this week, last week, I don't keep track. Uh, I, I want to say last week. It's Tom King, who's been doing uh, Batman Rebirth since the beginning. Joel Jones, whose art is freaking amazing. I just want, I want Joel Jones to do every single issue of Batman from here on out. Okay. If they need to move the book to a monthly book again instead of bi-weekly, I'm totally for it. Joel Jones, you're amazing. All right. With that said, if you've been reading Batman, which I'm assuming if you listen to this podcast, you have been, then you know that Tom King's been playing around with this idea of Catwoman and Batman being in a relationship, deciding to finally pursue this relationship, deciding to uh, start planning a wedding, okay, so they want to spend their lives together. And that's fine. Uh, I'm not going to talk about how I feel about that. Uh, there's aspects of it that I enjoy, and there's aspects of it that I don't. Because, I mean, to be honest, while Batman has had many different relationships over the decades, I think Selina is one of those characters who he's had the strongest bond with. And, I mean, he, he's been smitten with her since very early on, right? Pretty much since the series came out, uh, in, in Batman number one, she was in there, and he was immediately smitten with her. So it makes sense. It makes sense. I'm not going to talk about the things that I don't like about it, but this particular story has Wonder Woman coming in and asking Batman for help. And Tom and Joel introduces a new character, the Gentleman, who lives in this, like, alternate dimension. And he's kind of been retconned into Justice League history. So this is a brand new character for this issue. But according to Diana, when she's telling uh, Bruce about the, the gentleman and what they're going to be doing, um, they made some kind of deal with the Justice League where this guy would stay in this dimension and he would fight these demons and whatever else is in there. And But, you know, he would get one day off to come back to Earth. And the way that time works in this dimension is a little bit different. So I think a day is like a thousand years or something like that. And so he's been fighting these demons for thousands. But in our world, he's only been gone for one year. Okay? And we don't learn a whole lot about his background, but we do know that he's married. We do know that he was only gone for a year because when when he trades places with Batman and Wonder Woman, uh, Selina, Catwoman, is, is there to greet him uh, and kind of help him guide himself through Gotham City. And she's talking to him a little bit about who he is and what he's about. She's very surprised that he's got a wife and all this other stuff. While in this other dimension, Batman and, and Wonder Woman are constantly fighting these demons. Okay, so we've got the, the, the two aspects of things, right? So the gentleman and Catwoman in the real world, uh, very much discussing their lives. And then we have Batman and Wonder Woman in this parallel dimension fighting demons. Uh, they talk very little throughout most of the issue. And then at the end, the issue ends with Batman and Wonder Woman kind of coming in to a kiss, although we never see the kiss. Now, that's not the controversy because, I mean, that's not something new either, right? We've seen Batman and Wonder Woman kind of be romantically involved, but not really. Like, it, it never became a thing, to be honest. Um, more of that has been explored with Wonder Woman and Superman. And that's where Action Comic 761 comes in. So this is a story from, uh, what year did this come out? 2000, January 2000. And it's written by uh, Joe Kelly, the artist German Garcia. And the story is somewhat similar to the story in Batman 39. 
But instead of having Batman, we have Superman. And a lot of it deals with Superman and Lois' uh, relationship. Now, this is before they were married, right? So there's a lot of like, oh, well, who will the you know, next super Mrs. Superman be? Like, I'm not Mrs. Superman. I'm going to be Cl- Mrs. Clark Kent. Um, there's, a, there's a couple of the characters that pop in to kind of deal with this relationship issue, right? So uh, Perry and Lois are talking uh, at a diner. Uh, La Encantadora is in jail talking about when she shared a kiss with Superman. Um, so it's very much relationship focused, right? Trying to cement the fact that Lois and Superman are kind of um, soulmates, I guess you could say. In much the same way that Batman tries to deal with how Catwoman and Batman are kind of soulmates. And how different people uh, deal with their own relationships, Right, so like in action, there's a scene where Perry's talking about how his favorite day is his one day off a year, uh, where he and his wife get to do whatever they want without each other. Right, but the rest of the time they're together. So both issues play up on the same thing. Uh, and what's really interesting is a lot of the story in action is very similar. So Superman and Wonder Woman go and end up in Valhalla and run into Thor. Now this is DC, so it's not the same Thor, right? Uh, this is. This is Thor Thor, the, myth- the mythological god, uh, because remember, and they can't like quite copyright Thor because it's an ancient myth. Um, so that's why, especially I think early on, uh, DC and Marvel had a lot of these mythological characters pop in and out of their stories. Uh, and it became a little weird sometimes because they're using the same beings. But anyways, so they go to Valhalla and they start helping fight Thor. Um, now, they're not giving Thor a day off. Right. So that that is the one difference. Uh, but a lot of it is very much the same. Right. So they go into this realm to fight demons for thousands of years. And time works kind of similarly to the way it works on our Earth. So one day is a thousand years in this other realm. Uh, and so as a result, people have uh, kind of become upset. And I saw Tom King tweeting about this whole thing where, you know, he apologized, but he did not know. And, and here's the way that I look at it. So I've been very critical of Tom King on this podcast. Um, but I think in this respect, people are going a little overboard with this whole thing. A little overboard. Now, I'm not saying Tom King never read action comics. I don't know what his comic book reading history is. Okay. Now, Action 761 came out in the year 2000. Um, so, I mean, I think Tom's a couple years older than I am. So he would have been, I don't know, like early 20s maybe in 2000. <coughs> so I don't know if he was reading comics then or not. Because I remember taking a break in my early 20s. So I'm just going to assume he wasn't reading comics then. And sure, he's a comic writer now. And, and I know from from conversations I've had with uh, like Daryl Taylor and Chris Campbell, because they're friends with Tom. Uh, you know, Tom loves buying comics at cons, right? Especially older comics. And, and I'm sure a lot of that is for research. Uh, but he, he loves comics. He loves comics. And I think that's pretty obvious. If Tom says he didn't, he never read Action 761, then I believe Tom never read Action 761. What's the problem? Now, are there similarities between the two stories? Absolutely. Absolutely. While, while I think the, the minutia of the plot points are very, uh, similar, I think overall there there's some marked differences in the two. Um but I think, you know, because the ultimately the theme is about 
you know, finding your soulmate and, and what true romance is and how to find, how to figure out who that person is and all those kind of things. Um, and because, you know, gentleman and, and the Thor in this issue do look very similar, um, because of the whole demon fighting thing for a thousand years and all that. I mean, many things. I could see the argument where Tom ripped the story off. But at the same time, if Tom says he didn't read it, I kind of believe him. And to be honest, I don't know if this is something that needs to be directed at the writer himself. I don't. I think ultimately the problem here is not so much with what the writer wrote, but maybe more of the editing team at DC. Now, I'm not saying that every single editor should know every single story of every single character ever created. It's not what I'm saying at all. But I think it is important for whoever the writers are looking up to for uh, ideas on developing the story. And, and, you know, generally, that is going to be the editor of the book, especially at Marvel and DC. I think it's very important for the editor to make sh- to look at the story and say, "Has have we seen this before? Because I find it very hard to believe that DC and Marvel, regardless of the complicated histories that they each have, regardless of the intricate timelines that they've weaved over the decades, I find it hard to believe that they don't have some kind of way of like tracking these things. I find that hard to believe. They have to have some kind of system where they could be like, I don't know, whatever. <laughs> what, what would be the keywords here? All right, let's just do this. Keyword, thousand years. Okay, put it in your DC Google machine. Okay, your DC DuckDuckGo machine. And uh, here's a list of stories that had that, right? I mean, I can go on the, the DC Wikia, okay? Or I can go on Wikipedia or go anywhere on the internet and very easily type a couple search terms and find these two issues side by side with their themes. I mean, maybe it's just me. Maybe it's my my tech mentality. And, and I know not everybody has that. I know not everybody has that. And maybe I expect a little too much from uh, editing staff at these places, or maybe from the company themselves, where I would assume they have some kind of system where they can cross-reference stories. But maybe they don't, right? That's very possible. And then if that's the case, then not even the editors would have the information. Right? Because I've read Action 761 before. I don't remember it until I saw this controversy pop up on Twitter. So either there's a couple of nerds that have way too much time in their hands and are digging through every issue every single month, trying to nitpick every single fucking thing that everybody's doing, or somebody actually maybe recently read this and remembered it, or somebody has just got the best memory in the world and remembered this issue. And all those things are very possible. All those things are very possible. But the thing is, why get upset about it? Who cares? Who cares? Because really, do we do we really have like new stories? Do we think about that? I mean, a lot of the stuff that we see in comics, it gets recycled every few years. Nobody complains about that. Well, I mean, people complain because they're people. But for the most part, nobody cares. A lot of these stories, they're they're using tropes that have been in literature and mythology for thousands of years. Okay, so none of that's new. The, the the stereotypes of superheroes are nothing new. Okay, so what's new? Like the names, the costumes, maybe the interactions. But ultimately, what the stories boil down to, none of that's new. Okay, none of that's new. And in the event 
that Tom had read Action 761. I think these two stories are different enough where it doesn't freaking matter. It doesn't matter. All that this is doing is creating controversy between people and then giving me a topic to talk about on this podcast. Because really, who cares? I I had issues with Batman 39, but I thought, overall, one of the better issues recently. I read Action 761 again so I could have this conversation. I thoroughly enjoyed it. It's very 90s, but I very much enjoyed it. So isn't that what really it's about? Don't we read comics to enjoy ourselves, to escape into these worlds for just a few minutes? Isn't that what it's about? Because that's why I read comics. I don't read comics to get on Twitter or Facebook or wherever the hell else people go to chat about these things and, and you know tear these comics down. If you're that kind of person, then fuck you. Fuck you. All right. That's going to be it for the controversy. I did want to talk very briefly about the new Batman costume. So if you are reading Doomsday Clock, you have seen the new Batman costume. And I think it looks fantastic. A, because Gary Frank is doing it. And so by default, it's awesome. But uh, I really like it. Uh, I'm not quite sure yet about the the bat signal on the uh, on the chest. Um, it it almost looks to me like uh, the Batman Incorporated emblem. Um, it seems a little plasticky, I would say. But aside from that, aside from that, I think the costume looks great. It's a little bit darker again. They've gotten rid of the uh, the lining and the cape. Um, it looks awesome. Now this, for some reason, also became a little controversial. That's right, controversial for a fucking costume. We're not talking about Red Trunk Superman today, okay? We're not. We're just talking about Batman. But some people were a little confused. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe that this was not so much controversy, but confusion. Because the suit that Gary Frank has in Doomsday Clock is, I mean, it, it's very much Batman. But it is different enough from the Bat suit that we're seeing in all the other books at DC. And so some people were very confused. And that's understandable. And, you know, that's that's a crazy theory start, right? Because you see Batman in a different suit. You're like, well, is this a reality? Is this an Elseworld story? Is like this and that? No. So here's the deal. Doomsday Clock takes place one year in the future. One year in the future. And so the story that takes place in Doomsday Clock happens much after everything else that we're seeing now. As a result, Batman has a new costume. What will lead Batman to have this new costume? We don't know yet. But he's going to have a new costume in 2018. The costume that we're seeing in Doomsday Clock is going to be the costume moving forward in all the books. So I hope that answers any questions or issues people had with this thing. Because I wanted to make that clear. And again, the suit looks awesome. So I can't wait to see it in the other books. But I think that's it. I've rambled enough. I have a new podcast coming out. It'll be uh, not this coming week, but the week after. It'll be a daily podcast. And in many respects, it's going to be a lot like this episode. So if you enjoyed this episode, you're going to get to hear something like this five days a week, both on podcast form and on Twitter. And some people are saying, Martin, I don't want to see your face all the time. Listen, I don't want to see my face all the time either. But here's the thing. My face is going to be very, very little on the video screen. Okay? Very, very little. There's going to be a lot of a lot of other things happening on the screen. Uh... Because I want to be able to explain things in a visual manner as well. So if you want to get that, it'll be on YouTube. I'll post a link on Twitter probably within the next, uh, the next week, next few days. There will be a trailer on the Nerd Legion podcast feed for episode one. And, uh, if you want, if you don't want to watch on YouTube, you, you still a podcast listener. I will be sure to make all the notes from the video available 
uh, on the uh, on the podcast page, as well as if you listen to iTunes or Stitcher or whatever, it'll show up in the show notes section there as well. I hope you enjoyed this episode. These are my favorite kind of episodes to do. Uh, the podcast will be changing a little bit. Um, I know I, I teased that last time. I, I've been mulling around exactly how I wanted to do this going forward. So the podcast will be changing a little bit. It will still be uh, Mondays and Fridays is my aim. Um, but I, I will not be doing every issue from now on. I'll be skipping around a bit because uh, the further I get into these stories, uh, the more I find that a lot of them are very similar. Um, a lot of them don't necessarily have any correlation to the Batman that we have come to know and love. And so I want to make things a little bit tighter and uh, I want to get to more key issues, more key storylines, uh, do a little more in-depth analysis of things. And uh, so as a result, like the, the one issue episodes will start disappearing slowly. Uh, the transition is probably going to take me about a month. Uh, so you'll still see those episodes. I still have a few pre-recorded. Um, but probably by uh, by the end of February, uh, you'll see the new format start taking shape. But I do hope you enjoyed this. If you want to get in touch with me, uh, at Geekvine is the place, best place on Twitter. DirtyLegion at gmail.com is the email address. And of course, DirtyLegion.com is the website. Thanks for listening. Have a good night.